This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, down on the farm. All this week on the podcast, we're bringing you Food Week, from farm gate to plate. Uh, so we've got loads of interesting uh, features about the politics and the policies, and even the people involved in our, our food supply chains. So we spent the whole of the radio show on Western's Farm in Horsham in West Sussex. Uh, thanks to uh, David Exwood, who's the farmer there. Uh, he was our uh, host. And coming up on the podcast, you'll be able to hear what happened when we had a tour of the farm. And I got to have a go at driving a tractor. Plus, uh, what's it easier to interview? Is it a cow or a pig? We'll find out. Uh, first, though, we kick off, as ever, with our columnist panel. No Rachel Vesta today. So, Libby Powis from The Times was joined by Andrew Meredith from Farmers Weekly. This is what a lovely way to spend a morning. I mean, this is Farmers Weekly editorial heartland right here. <laughs> Despite being in the commuter belt of Surrey, we are surrounded by lovely farmland as far as the eye can see. Um, uh, talk to me about what you're talking about Farmers Weekly. Uh, you've got it in front of you. It's yep. still, a, still a printed product, presumably booming online as well. Uh, just talk to me about the, the, the sort of the, the, the world of Farmers Weekly. Well, 98 years old, the brand is. It'll be wow. 100 years old in two years' time. You know, it's been a traditional print product for obviously the vast uh, uh, duration of that time. But um, na- website, um, podcast, webinars, uh, and, and, you know, the perception of farmers is they're not that, you know, digital savvy. That's the stereotype. But, you know, during lockdown, when everyone moved online, what we learned actually is our readership is uh, uh, happy to follow us there. And, and uh, thanks to the... Uh, extremely protracted campaign to get better broadband in the countryside. <laughs> Finally, most of our readership have the opportunity as well as the desire yeah, to come yeah, yeah. And actually, the thing is that, you know, you look at, well, I was out and about earlier with David, we'll hear it later on the show, whether you're, you know, the GPS controlling the, the, the combine going around or David could see where all of his equipment was just using the app on his phone. You know, tech is embedded in so much of what's happening on farms right now. It's a high-tech industry and that is why I'm taking serious issue with your use of the old McDonald theme tune this morning. That children's old stereotype. Old Matt Chorley's on a farm. It's just a factual statement. Not here for And what, what's, big, what's big news at the moment right now in Farmers Weekly? 
it ha- you know the drought is dominating the national conversation but farmers have been talking about the weather since well basically about the year zero mm. but this year we've been talking about the dry conditions really since spring and while there's been a lot of parallels uh, from the old timers with 1976 and how it's certainly not as bad as that yet um, I think the better bit of analysis is the fact that it, 1976 was so bad because 1975 was dry and if we don't get good rain this autumn and this winter, you know, we should really start worrying about what next year could be. And, and you know, you don't go and meet trouble. You need to be an optimist and a realist in this game. And farmers are perpetual optimists, on the whole. <laughs> God, <laughs> if, 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 if you, you know, if you breed a cow or, or, or a sheep with another one to produce some livestock, you spend a lot of money on them, or you push a seed in the ground, there's, you know, there's always the hope but never the guarantee that you're going to get a product to take to market at the end of the day. Uh, well, talking of, talking of which, uh, you've sort of slightly touched on the, uh, the, the, the the challenges that farmers face in your, certainly the theme of it, Libby, in your column this morning, uh, looking at how we've got too used to basically paying uh, a price for things, which is less than actually its cost to produce. Yes, it all began with, with Michael O'Leary's remark that flying is too cheap for what it is. And I thought, hang on, what other things are too cheap for what they are? Because that always means that someone somewhere or the environment is being massively, massively degraded and undervalued for it. And of course, there is quite a good example. I mean, I think uh, pig farmers at the moment would agree that it costs you more to fatten a sow than you were ever going to get for the, for the sow as uh, you know and any pig as as meat and that that is really that is really concerning farmers have been driven down and down and down in price by big supermarkets where they deal with big supermarkets and have often had to diversify into other things into tourism and so on so i think the the too cheap for what it is does quite often apply to some uh, to to some food products and, and Andrew, why does that happen in the food industry is it because uh, we've talked a lot already about how the, sort of the time lag, mm. because you could you know you decide you want to buy some buy some pigs in during the time of you fattening them up, it just becomes clear that you're not going to get the price you would have hoped. Yeah, so farmers are often the victims of volatility because of um, that gap between the expectation yeah. and the end result. Yeah, things change. Um, during COVID, uh, we saw a big increase in the demand for meat from the supermarkets because the, um, the restaurant trade shut down, right? And, and pork, there was suddenly a surge in demand for that. There was an encouragement for farmers to increase production. All of a sudden, supply networks reopen, the restaurant trade reopens. We're in, we can import more from Europe again all of a sudden, and we are diversifying where we eat it and how we eat it. And uh, the pork price plummets. Um, and it, it is about... The industries that have, 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 have seen their prices increase at farm gate prices are where the supermarkets have a genuine fear of scarcity. And so that lag is the narrowest, actually, at the moment in the dairy sector, where okay. you've ne- you'll have noticed probably a pint of milk on the shelf has gone up, but the retail price for a farmer at the farm gate has also gone up quite well. It's just about keeping pace probably with the increased cost of production for some, but not all farmers. And if, what, how, what's that done? Is that supermarkets responding and realise, well, actually, if we don't pay more... Yep. Farmers are going to go bust, and then they won't have anywhere, any milk anywhere. Yeah. So for a dairy farmer, actually, it's quite straightforward to turn down your supply because it, what you choose to feed your cow in the morning will result in an increase in a milk or, or decrease in milk yield by the following day. So can, really? Yes. You can it that quickly. So, you know, when mm. they're deciding whether or not to buy in expensive um, feeds to top up what they're eating as grass or as silage homegrown, 
if they if they buy in less of that, milk uh, production goes down, and at a national yeah. level, suddenly there is genuine scarcity, yeah, yeah. and they have to respond with a price rise to say, hey, we're going to help you here to maintain or even increase production. But they're not they're not at the increase yet, but they're probably helping maintain. And with the drought that's going on at the moment, it's becoming ever more expensive to just hold on to that production level that you're at. Um, we should talk about energy as well, uh, Libby. Talk about prices. Uh, what have you made of the, the intervention from uh, the, uh, Keir Starmer back from his holidays announcing that he thinks that the, the government should freeze uh, the energy price cap? Um, is, this, is this just smart politics? Is this sort of inevitable on his behalf? Do you think, do you think it makes it more or less likely th- that, that, that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will actually do what he suggests? Oh, I think I think it probably does make it more likely, but but it, I just find it very annoying the talk of blanket tax cuts uh, from the Liz Truss side and the talk of blanket uh, en- you know energy energy costs because there are people who need help a lot more than other people in this country. We've got one of the biggest widest gaps in Europe from the richest to the poorest. And it is just so ridiculous to talk of tax cuts and of, um, you know, fuel subsidy, which, because this is effectively a fuel subsidy for everybody, when we should be targeting it. I mean, it's one of the things Rishi Sunak has said far more than Liz Truss. We have to target help on the people who need it most. And, uh, you know, the rest of us probably have to sort of suck it up a bit. But uh, it, it, it irritates me, this, this, this universalism, because it's just not fair. Well, because ultimately, you know, there's a limited amount of money around at any one time. So Keir Starmer's announcing he would stop energy bills from rising. Uh, it's a cost of £29 billion. £8 billion, uh, comes from increasing tax revenues from oil and gas producers, uh, removing the, the, the loophole that was uh, put in by Richard Sunak's windfall tax. Uh, so, uh, but there are people, there are people in... Yeah, there are people in enormous houses, you know, who are absolutely wasteful on their heating, and I don't see why the assistance should apply as much to them yeah, yeah, yeah. as it does to people who can only just stay warm enough to stay alive. And Labour well, saying the whole thing is fully costed. Uh, so at the eight billion from, uh, from oh. the, uh, more from the uh, windfall tax, fourteen billion basically from the non-targeted fund so basically the blanket funding that the government already put in place they're saying well instead of that universalism we take that 14 billion we'll spend it on this instead and there's another sort of vague bit of seven billion pounds they claim that by keeping energy bills down will reduce the rate of inflation leading to a reduction in government debt interest payments um which which that feels a bit like um <laughs> i don't know i mean it's some, some slightly magical <laughs> accountancy living Yes. <laughs> yes, so you're, you're probably better at magical accountancy than I am, having hung out with politicians <laughs> for, for yes, longer. Sort of, but uh, I, 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 get, I get awfully, uh, I wouldn't say Thatcherite, but I get Thatchery over this. You know, yeah. I do the house, housekeeping thing, housekeeping thing. If we haven't got it, we can't spend it. You know, and if we, you know, so we must help the people who absolutely need helping up from the bottom and not, uh, not start sort of spraying around promises to the more affluent in society and of course higher energy costs that affects the farmers producing our food it's one of the big drivers into into what we end up paying for our food energy bank of england saying energy and food are the two main drivers of inflation but farmers are energy users too got a piece in this week's farmers weekly about how there's been a, a surge in demand for solar panels yeah. to go on mm. the roofs of of livestock buildings as well as the sort of slightly more controversial idea of uh, covering fields in them so that putting on farm builders, that's that's to basically provide power for the farm yes yeah so um we had an, an energy um expert uh, one of the solar panel suppliers saying that 
that um, you know, energy prices have tripled. A typical dairy farmer could be using 100,000 to 150,000 of units of electricity a year. So instead of paying 15,000 a year to do things like run their milking parlour and, and keep the lights in the sheds on, etc., etc., it's suddenly it's 45,000. You know, that's the cost of a salary. So yeah, yeah. where do they find that extra from? Will that increase in the milk price be enough? Will they have to make cuts elsewhere? These are the questions that all businesses are battling at the moment and they haven't got the benefit that consumers have of the the capital so you know farmers are not interested in special pleading we know that all businesses across the uk are, are having these sort of difficult conversations at the moment and you touched on the the, the idea of the solar farms the solar panels that you know lined up in fields but Liz trust was quite rude about them the other day i think she said they were depressing uh, seeing it she said we should, be, we should be growing food in fields not filling them with solar panels um what's what's the what's your view what's the farmer's weekly view on that well, it's just wants to unleash the potential of farming and, and Rishi Sunak wants to, to help to, uh, you know, there's always warm words with the farming sector when you have a, a constituency that is perhaps more rural they're appealing to than the, the national average now. But uh, we'll wait to see um, whether what becomes reality. And I, I think um, my view is that um, the next year we've got a, a land use strategy going to come, uh, consultation going to come along. And this is the missing piece that um, uh, David and the NFU who were on beforehand, I think, are really keen to see a really thorough job done on. Let's have a conversation, uh, because land is so scarce, about what we need the most and prioritise it. Environmental goods and services, food production, energy production, carbon sequestration. You know, we're not self-sufficient in timber either. So, you know, it's, it's important that we do plant some yeah. land with trees, but it's, it's, it's trying to balance everything and trying to decide what should be top of that list. And I'm sure uh, if David is back on the, sat on the bench next to me now, he'd be saying that, you know, it's, it's the absence of food from the debate is what is so yeah, concerning yeah. many farmers at the moment there. Do you have... Do you have uh, Suffolk, a Libby, do you have many of these solar farms in fields? I don't. It seems to be quite sort of regional where where they are and aren't. No, not not really. We don't see them around. The interesting thing is that anyone who's used solar panels, as uh, as my husband have, has on the boat sailing down the tropics, solar panels work less and less well when they get really hot in themselves. So the really hot weather actually is an enemy, amazingly, of solar power. Um, so if you're sticking something on your barn roof, you know you you will not get perhaps quite as much as you would hope even in the weather that we've having in the weather we've been having recently so that's another thing about solar panels andrew meredith from farmers weekly and of course libby post from the times and you can read libby's column as we were discussing online at thetimes.co.uk just get yourself a subscription go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box up next we go down on the farm it's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. A very good morning to you. It's Old Matt Chorley on the farm this morning. We've left behind the farm shop. I'm now in the truck of David Exwood from uh, Weston's Farm in Horsham. Uh, David, we, we've come out to the fields. We are. This is where the action's at this morning. We're in the last day of combining on the farm today. And we've come out to where uh, the combine's working and we're carting the grain. Uh, back to the farm. OK, well, let's get out. Let's get, are we getting out of here? Yeah, well, let's get out here. We'll get out of here. Lovely stuff. It's a beautiful, beautiful summer's morning. Uh, down here before the uh, before the storm comes. Luckily, not as swelteringly hot as it was before. And what's been? Um, you see the great big green combine harvest just on the other side of the field. What, what's he uh, harvesting? So these are spring beans. So these were planted in. Uh, they're just because they were planted in the spring. So in March, uh, and these are uh, and they're a protein, uh, and they can go for cattle feed or for humans eat them. They're just uh, they they are dry beans. Dry beans. And how how long will it take to clear this field here? Uh, a couple of hours at the most, I would hope. Uh, not long. And is this the last field, you said? No, we've got the one just beyond it over there, and then we've got another one just over there. But, you know, sort of two o'clock, all done. Now, as we were coming down in the truck, I mean, I'm not an expert, uh, but we came across a lot of your maize, uh, corn. Um, how does that compare to... You were basically saying it, it's not as high as it would be normally at this time of year. So, look, we all know it's been dry in the hot, dry spring. What that means is that the, the crops that grow in the spring uh, haven't done as well, and our maize is half the height, less than half the height it normally is. Normally, it's... 10 foot tall, somewhere above my head now, it's somewhere down there. And uh, that's just because of the lack of rain. And what does that then mean in terms of the amount of useful stuff that you get from it that you can then sell? We'll have about half the amount we normally would. It's as simple as that. I mean, that's farming. It's uh, You rely on the weather, you know, and if it doesn't rain, it doesn't grow. And it's as simple as that. We can't irrigate it out here. We have no source of water. So no rain, you know, less maize. And we just have to work with that. And what about fertiliser? There's been lots of talk about the rise in cost of fertiliser. How's that affected you? So uh, it's cost us a lot more, so about three times as much as last wow. year. Three times, yeah, and that's uh, that's a big cost to us. It's yeah. cost me, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. But uh, so the maize, we normally have a particular type we put in with the seed when we plant it. Couldn't get it this year. And it's, that has not helped the situation either. So it's not always about price. Sometimes you just can't get stuff. Explain a bit why why is the price of fertilizer suddenly gone up? Is this a Ukraine everything? It all roads lead back to Ukraine in the end. It is all roads lead lead back to Ukraine. It's the cost of the energy that you need to make fertilizer has you know we all know what the price of gas has done. Well, if you use a lot to make fertilizer, it makes it more expensive. It's pretty straightforward. And these are it's that what we've had this year is that combination of the political, the Ukraine, and the supply and weather. It's the weather and the war coming together has created lots of problems for farmers. Well, let's take, let's take a little look around. So we've got the, the combines on the other side of the field. You've got a tractor parked up there. I mean, uh, nobody can think about tractors now without thinking about Neil Parrish. <laughs> How do farmers feel about Neil Parrish? Uh, look, Neil was a great supporter of farming and we need supporters in Parliament. I think is how I'd best answer that. 
Is it, how, how do you feel that? Do you feel like the things that you've just been talking about, the impact of, you know, whether it is the drought or the, or the, the rising cost of all your input costs, do you feel like that's been on the agenda enough politically? I think farmers, uh, sorry, politicians have taken food for granted for far too long. I think farmers know what a risky game it is. We're dependent on the weather and all these different factors. And everybody seems to have just completely ignored how vulnerable our food supply is. And it's taken a war and sort of dry, widespread drought across the world for everybody to realise it's not quite as secure as we thought. So, yeah, we do feel, I think it hasn't been at the forefront of, of enough people's minds. Uh, the other impact of the drought, of course, is just how dry everything is. I mean, coming through the beautiful Surrey countryside this morning, it's just, a, you know, uh, sheets of yellow where you'd expect green. Um, and uh, I know you've got a particular bug about the moment, sky lanterns. Even, even now, some idiot last night was letting off sky lanterns. Quite unbelievable. So the Sussex savannah is back. It is parched, it is dry, it is dusty. You, you know, we're seeing fires all around all the time. And yet... Some people think it's a good idea to let a sky lantern off because it's a beautiful summer's evening. Um, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, frustrating, to put it mildly. And you've got, there's a petition, isn't there, to try and get the ban? Yeah, we have. We So the NFU's been asking for them to be banned for some time. Look, we, look we're all for people being in the countryside, having a good time, but sky lanterns, there's no part of that, there's no need for that, and we would like to see them banned straight away. Have you ever had an issue with a fire or anything like that? Uh, we have had issues with fires, not from a sky lantern, but it's uh, the risk of them about. So, yeah, no, look, the thing about fires in the countryside is, look, sometimes it's a risk, sometimes it isn't. But when it is, you know, a wildfire can take off. It's yeah. just they're the scariest things. They move faster than you can run. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and it's all about protecting property and, and, and livestock. Well, I mean, it's, the sun's come out now. It's really, it's really warm again now. And, and as, the, as the combine approaches, so to give us the spec of this, how high-tech this. You were showing me a minute ago how you can... When we, when we want another bit of the farm, you could see where the combine was on your phone. Look, absolutely. So it's all about the software and the data now. Yeah. Everything's getting more clever. So, yes, it's got, uh, it's got GPS on it so it can track it and steer it. But it has a modem to send all the data. So everything that's happening in that combine, I can see on my phone. I can track where it's at, what it's doing, yield, performance, all those things. So, so really you, 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 can, you can see in real time basically how good the harvest is rather than having to wait and see well that's only half the shed field absolutely i can see everything that the driver can see on my phone amazing it's clever stuff yeah yeah so here it is the the combine is pulled up uh, right next to us i'm just uh making way across the field trying not to fall over and up we go David's in the David's in the driving seat. There we are. Give the door a good slap. Always the way. David, it's been a long time since I've been in a combine. I remember yeah. I was a child going on my uncle's farm. This is a lot more high tech than I seem to remember it. Like everything in the world, the combines and technology have moved on, and I this is a world away from where I started. It's got aircon in it. It's the most comfortable place. <laughs> it's cool. It's. Uh, uh, it's cool. It's all GPS steered. There's a ton of technology. GPS steered. So you're not, well, you are. You've got a steering wheel. Because yeah, just we're on the edge of the field. Okay. But uh, uh, when we're going up and down, it's hands free. Is it? Yeah, yeah. And so just so it, just explain um, what is happening. The, the road. People have seen a combine before, maybe. 
the roads on the front, and then then what's what's happening underneath? Us? So what's happening in front of us is uh, we got the crop, so we cut it, the the knife cuts it, and it kind of the reel picks it up and it drags it into the combine, and it feeds in underneath our feet and goes up inside the combine, where basically it threshes it, so it separates the grain, the the beans in this case, uh, from the straw, so that's the stalks. Uh, and so if you can see in the tank behind us there, you can see the, the beans, beans coming in yeah. uh, and, and all the straw goes out the back uh, and is chopped and returned to the field. So that is, there's an awful lot more to it than that. But essentially we are separating the grain from the straw is all we're doing. And while we're in here, you can see basically how many beans are coming through. Absolutely. So I've got a screen, it's a bit like an iPad. Uh, and that's got all the data of the combine. So we've got the yield, we've got the position where we are on the field, we've got the settings of the combine, everything that's happening. There's many, many moving parts in a combine, uh, and it's all there in front of me, so I can monitor it, make sure it's all happening correctly. So I'm picking up and turning around now. There's the complicated bit on the corners. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> the, you can get this job wrong. <laughs> and, what, and what about, you know, beautiful uh, Surrey countryside we're in this morning? Um, it's it's nice. It's not quite as hot, but it's nice. You know, the sun's out, blue skies, and all that. I mean, clearly, part of what you know, your main job is to make sure you're harvesting the crops, and then you can sell them and make some money. But the job of looking after the countryside too, how important is all of that? And, and looking after the biodiversity, not just of the, you know, the field right now, but everything around it. So look, um, we really care about where we live and work. It's not just all about the money. Uh, and so we're insecticide free on this farm, for example. And we do that because looking after the insects, we see as really, really uh, important. So, yeah, look, absolutely. It's about producing food and looking after the countryside and nature as well. And that's the real trick. There isn't enough land in this country to have separate land for uh, biodiversity and food. We have to get it all from the same piece. And what do you do about sort of chemicals and insecticides and that sort of stuff? So we use less. We're on a journey of using less. We're not organic. Uh, we use fertiliser. Uh, I wouldn't pretend to be, but uh, so we, cause, because we need the production, we need the yield of uh, farming. But we're trying to do it with less impact. So we're constantly challenging ourselves and looking and saying, what can we do without? It's the most comfortable I've been all morning sitting up it's, here. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's all right. It's, all right. it's a bit of all right. This is very different to... Yeah, it must have been like the 80s and 90s, sitting in a... What is it? I think it was an open cab. It was absolutely boiling. Absolutely. First combine I drove, it had a cab, but no air conditioning. And yeah. that was just that was just torture, really. Um, yeah, this is... Um, look, the guys spend a lot of hours in here, so we'll be cutting for 14, 15 hours today, perhaps. And uh, you need to be somewhere good to work. And, you know, particularly over the last few weeks, nobody's going to begrudge you a bit of air cold when you're out working. <laughs> no, look, absolutely. Uh, look, it's all about doing a good job, and you can't expect people to do that. Uh, if they're not comfortable so we're out of the combine and into the tractor this is what i've come for obviously the combine is a much too big piece of kit uh so they're not gonna let me loose on that but apparently i'm gonna get to drive this splendid john deere 6190r uh, not the Massey Ferguson that uh, Neil Parrish may or may not have been googling it's got such a nice smart trailer on his big, big green jobby uh yellow wheels just to paint you a picture you have a hopping up. Go on then, David. You, I'll give it a. I'll give it a go. You'll be all right. You're fine. You're going right. first. Lovely. Oh, in we go. In we go. Again, very smart. Look right. at that. Shut the door. There we are. Shut the door. Right. right. Turn the key. Turn the key. So you hold, you hold that one. I will. Perfect. Easy as that. Easy as that. And then really, why is it beeping at me already, David? It's a tractor. <laughs> they always beep. We'll ignore that. 
Right, um, foot on the brake. Foot on the brake. And then, is it automatic? It's automatic. Is it? Take your foot on the brake, foot on the accelerator, things are going to happen. What? Look at that. How, how easy was that? See, I, I know. I was joking about this with uh, Ruth Davidson last week because I said I first the first time I drove was a tractor. I think probably about 14, yep. 14, 15, yeah, yeah, my yeah. uncle's farm. It's all legal, isn't it? You're allowed to yeah, do absolutely. that. Absolutely. How many people learned to have to drive? Exactly right. But uh, this is much swisher, I'd well, say. Well, again, again, because it's probably 15, 20 years things ago. Things have moved on, yeah. yeah. And uh, you can go out in the field, we'll do a loop round. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Is go this it's going to get bumpy? Mm, a little bit, but oh, it's all right. Go, then. Come on, then. We've got suspension in the cab, it'll be okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, keep yeah. going round like you are. Round we go. How much do I have to worry about the trailer on the back? Not too much. Oh. It'll look after itself. There we go. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, just... Okay. It's, aim, the, aim the tractor at producer Chloe and see if I can run her over. <laughs> yeah, tractors like everything else have come on enormously and uh, they're just great things to drive. But, you know, again, we do a lot of hours in here. It's all about output yeah, and efficiency. Yeah, yeah. So all the technology, all the bits we have on it, it just makes um, it means we get more done in the day. And if you can bear to be in it for hours and hours on end, then you can just get more work work done. Absolutely. So having G so this is GPS steered as well. Is it? Well, yeah, absolutely. So no, we're not set up for it, but yeah. it can be. But the, what that does to you it means you can relax. You're yeah, not yeah, concentrating. Yeah. It means actually you can do a twelve-hour day in here and come out and feel feel not feel tired. Feel not feel tired. Yeah. Left of it. And we'll go left of it. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that's a tiny bumpy bit. There we are. Yeah, we'll try and keep you on the straight and narrow. Try and keep you on the straight and narrow. Yeah, so look, we've got another one's turned up as well. They're, they're all queuing up now for grain. So what they're doing is the, the, the grain has been collected in the in the uh, in the combine and then uh, every so often when it fills up, they come up in, it comes out of the chute in the trailer and back to the farm. Absolutely. So it's all about getting it done while it's dry, so it's not so dry at the moment, so as fast as we can, so we unload on the go. The combine unloads the beans into the trailers and they head back to the barn where we put it in store. And it might be in store for weeks or months. You know, it could be there till next spring. We, it just all depends when we sell it. What am I doing now? Which way am I going now? Oh, I think around for the left, around, around for the left, and we can go and chase the combine. There we are. Oh, oh there we are. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it, is, look, it hasn't been dry all year, so the, we do get the odd rut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, when we drilled these beans, it was really wet. I know, so, yeah, and I suppose that's the thing. And, and as part of your sort of planning and that sort of thing, you know, you're dealing with wet wet winters, dry summers, and you don't know when you're putting the stuff in the ground what it's going to be like when you come to harvest. Absolutely. So, look, farmers have to produce food, come rain or shine, drought or or flood and it's that kind of resilience of your system, your farming system, what I do on the farm, yeah. and kind of nationally as well. That means that there's food at the end of the day no matter what happens and that's my job yeah. is to make sure that we grow food no matter what the weather throws at us and we're doing a great job and the weather the weather is about to throw, throw some rain at us so it's a good job you're getting the harvest in um and i'm glad i think you're probably glad that i'm not helping in any practical practical way with the uh, chapter driver skills but david thank you thank you for letting me relive my teenage years by getting behind the wheel of a tractor it's a pleasure that's spot on perfect Right, well, I'll tell you what we can do is uh, you can literally stop it here if you want. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, because no, you, can, you, you can, can come back on. So if you just foot on the brake, just the brake. gently. Right. There we are. Done. Magic. Key off? No, leave it running, actually. Yeah, yeah well, that's fine. Right, you want that? On a little. So it's out of the tractor, and now we're heading back to the farm, and we're going to take a look at uh, where the grain goes when it leaves the field.
So now, David, we've, we've, we've left the fields. We're now in the, the barn where you're keeping the grain. Explain, I mean, it's a, lot, it's a lot of grain. Explain how much grain exactly is here. So in this barn, we have many barns, in this barn there is 800 tonnes of milling wheat. So this is wheat that would go for bread. So how many loaves of bread can you make with this? There's about a million loaves in what? this barn alone. Wow! I know. And uh, when we talk about food and producing food, that's what it looks like. So this one barn will create a million loaves of bread. And what, what sort of bread are we talking about? Is it posh loaves? Cheap loaves? You don't know. It just goes... No, 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 no. So this is very... No, we do very much know. So this is your standard white yeah. sliced loaf. That's why. Yeah, you white, you white, you white bread. There's all many different types of bread. We grow different types of wheat for different types of bread, but for your standard white English loaf, this is your stuff. And how's the harvest going so far this year in terms of the amount of grain that you're getting compared to what you would normally get? Are all the barns as full as you'd hope by this, you know, this point in the, in the season? So, actually, we've had a good harvest. The quality has been excellent with all the sun, and you need sun to get the quality, and our yield hasn't been too bad. We've had, um, we had just enough rain in May to keep it going, but I feel... Explain, very, um, explain what the word yield means. For, so, for yield, yield is, is, is the, the amount we get off a field, so the tonnes per acre. Yeah. So, we've had... Uh, the amount we would normally expect to get has been about right, but we, it's not the same for every farmer across the country, so you sort of, you're always aware of not being... Too, uh, too, too confident or proud of what you've achieved. And the rain is coming, we're told, possibly tonight, possibly tomorrow. How, how, how much have you got left to get in? So you have caught us on the final day. We've been cutting every day for nearly a month now. Uh, we are and every night you've been, you've been doing it over well, as well. Day yeah. is a, day yeah. is a, yes, is a, is a fairly elastic term. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're down to the last uh, 70 acres, which we hope we'll get done today. So the rain is coming... Uh, but we'll be, we'll be, we're going to keep going until it's done. And what happens if you don't get it in and it does get wet? Oh, look, it's fine. It, 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 we'll get it done another day, but it, it, we'd have to dry it. Yeah. And we really don't want to dry it. Drying is, we use kerosene, so we use fuel to heat the, dry, to heat the grain. Don't want to be buying that at the moment, so we're just desperate to get through. We've been really fortunate to have a harvest where we haven't had to dry anything. So, look, that's farming. You never know what's around yeah, the corner. Yeah. We never expected to have a harvest like this. Certainly when we planted it, you know, 10, 11 months ago, who never thought we'd be where we are now. And it, clearly your input costs have gone up, but is this grain here worth a lot more now than this time last year? So the bottom line is there is just not enough grain in the world and yeah. the price has gone up. It's all supply and demand yeah. and it's a global market. So when I sell a tonne of my wheat, I'm competing with somebody from, uh, you know, um, um, Australia, America, wherever. It's a global market and there isn't enough. Yes, and the price has gone up. But uh, we didn't know that when we planted it. Yeah. There was no Ukraine war when we planted it. And uh, so what it's cost us to grow is, is, uh, is, is quite hard to work out because everything's changing so much all the time. And because of that price going up, are you planting more next year? Have you got the ability to plant more? Well, we just, again, we just really hard to predict what yeah. it's going to cost us to grow next year. So, no, we're going to go about the same. We're not going to go more. We're just going to play steady as it goes. And I think that's what most farmers are doing because the cost of the fertiliser, those blue bags over there, that's next year's fertiliser ready to go. We're very conscious of the massive rising costs. Uh, and, and, yes, I've sold some forward, but we don't really know what it's going to be worth in 12 months' time. So when you, it's, it, the risk of farming is always high. It's higher than ever. And when the risk is really high, you have to play a bit safe. David, we've, uh, we've come to the cows. We've come to see the, the incredible smell of the cows. It is all about the smell. And that, of course, smell is muck. And that's why we have the cows. That's the crucial part they play in the farm. It's that manure for the crops that we've already seen, uh, but also producing great beef as well. So the, you're not milking these. This is producing meat to eat. Absolutely. This is all about the beef. So this is all about producing, you know, uh, a product 
the beef on the shelf that you see in the supermarket, we supply that, and we're all, it's all about producing what people want. Now, tell me about the costs then, because we've, we've been talking before about the costs of you know, fuel and so on for when you're producing the, the crops. Um, in terms of the, 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 what's going into the cows, the feed, the water and so on, um, what's happened to the price of that? So it's like everything else. The price has rocketed. So the cost of the fertiliser that we use on the grass, the cost of the, the fuel that we use to run the tractors that we, we, we look after them with and we make all the silage and all the crops on the food. So pretty much everything we use, everything that goes into the cows has gone up massively and it's running at about 20 to 30 percent inflation is it yeah yeah right across the board that's an average yeah you know so fuel will be you know 100 percent it's sort of doubled fertilizers tripled uh, so many of the things have gone up but everything we use is more expensive even a fence post the cost of a fence post to keep the cows in is double what it was six months ago so oh, and why is that timber there's not enough timber in the world really yeah so there's not enough grain in the world there's not enough timber in the world a lot of the timber it turns out comes from ukraine belarus russia and so, yeah, so even keeping the cows in, we can't stop fencing. You know, we have to keep them in the field. So, yeah, that's just to give you an example. And when you talk about feeding them, what are they being fed? So these guys are on, uh, so these guys are in. They are on uh, grass silage that we've made off the farm. Uh, actually, last year still on this, are on May silage. So that's sweet corn that we chop up and feed to them. And um, barley. So our, our barley we grow on the farm as well. We roll it and then we mix, mix it all up with minerals and feed it to the cattle. And then what happens in terms of this year, the droughts, the fact that the weather's been so dry this year, does that start to affect what you can put into store for next year? Yes, it does. So we are May silage is half the height, less than half the height it normally is, so we're going to have a much smaller crop. So yeah, we're thinking how can we manage our feed for ne- the next 12 months because we can't make any more till next May. So we're, we're stuck now with what we've got, what we've got. So we're looking at how we can manage the ration and make sure we've got enough food to see us through. So what does that mean? Slightly putting them on a diet, cutting back a bit, mixing with other stuff or... Worst case scenario, you have to start buying it in and presumably the price of that is rocketing as well. Exactly. So, yes, we can buy it in, but, of course, everybody's short, so everybody's trying to buy in. But we're a mixed farm. Mixed farming works... One of the reasons it mixed well, it works well in these situations. So, best behind of me, you've got a big stack of straw there. We can put a bit of barley straw in the ration to help bulk it out. So, we can use other things we've got on the farm. We'll try and mix and match to try and fill the shortfall. And your point about being mixed is everything is joined up. So, you, you are, when you harvest the, the grain that you want to sell, you're left with the straw, which you can use for the cows. The cows produce the manure, which you can put on the fields, which grows the grain. So, you know, a lot of people will see cattle as the baddies in the climate change, climate challenge we had ahead of us. Actually, we see it completely differently. It's that traditional mixed farming where the, the manure from the cattle fertilises the crops and the crops feed the cattle and it goes around in one big circle and they all feed off each other. That is traditional mixed farming. And what, ab- what about that? Have you noticed any shift in what people are eating you know we hear a lot from vegans because they like to tell us that they're a vegan but um has there been a shift in the, in the amount of meat that people are eating have you noticed is there less demand for what you're producing no i think the the actual amount of meat that people eat has stayed remarkably consistent despite all the noise and the news and certainly you know we've been we you know we've been getting a good price for our beef what we have seen is a change in what they're buying so cost of living crisis is real so maybe they're buying less steak uh, and more mints, you know. So what they buy is changed, but actually the volumes are broadly similar. And does that affect decisions that you might make about 
the, the sort of cows that you're rearing or the, the age that you, you keep them for? Do you start sort of making those decisions, with, you know, reacting to, to what customers are thinking? So farming is a long-term game. Yeah, yeah. So these cows standing in front of us, which are about ready to be beef, they were born two years ago. They were put in calf two years and nine months ago. So the genetics behind these cattle were decided, yeah. well, you know, pre-pandemic. So, yeah. uh, that's the, so the choices we're making now... Uh, uh, will be two or three years down the line. So it's a long-term game. But look, absolutely, we're really focused on what the customer wants, you know, what the supermarket wants, what the buyer wants, what their preference is for the amount of fat, the, the type of the, the cut, the size of the cut, uh, the size of the carcass. So really, it matters to us uh, in terms of their, their carbon footprint. The sooner we finish them, the better. So actually, yeah, we're really focused on growth rates. So we measure the daily live weight gain. We weigh them. Uh, it's all recorded. We use a lot of software and data to produce that really exact sort of animal that, that, that people are after. And if someone is listening to this and thinking, well, if we didn't have all these cows, that would help in the, the battle against uh, carbon emissions? Uh, I'd say where are going to get fertiliser from because then you're more reliant than ever on, on uh, artificial fertilisers uh, and that, that is not good. So soil, it's all about the soil. If you're really concerned about climate, you're concerned about the healthy soil and the manure is the best thing. And I would be very sad to have no cows on the farm. My farm will be half what it is. And it would smell completely different. And it smells absolutely amazing. They've been amazingly quiet. The cows stood in front of us the whole time. They, they've, been, they've been very well behaved. Yeah, look, they're happy. They're contented cows. We want happy cows. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's, uh, that's, that's our aim, is just for the cows to be happy every day of their life. They want to be contented and, uh, and settled and calm. Now, David, we've, um, we've left the cows. Um, we now come to see the pigs. Yep. Hang on, the pigs seem to be out, David. I'm not, I'm not a, a farming expert, but the pigs don't appear to be in their pen, all of them. Uh, they, they, hello. They're contained, but uh, <laughs> pigs kind of know how to do their own thing. They are the smartest animals on the farm. Uh, it's the old, old thing that uh, pigs are equal with humans, and they very much are. They're, uh, they are great friends, and they can, uh, you can have a conversation with a pig, uh, and they, they've come to talk to us this morning. Do you prefer the pigs to the cows? I, I love them all. Just, it's like different things. <laughs> different, no, it is yeah, genuinely a different. You can have a, you have a different conversation with a pig than a cow. Is the answer for that? Is that? Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, pigs, pigs will talk back to you. Look, they're coming to have a chat this morning. They'll talk to me. Yeah. Cows will look at you with a certain amount of sort of, uh, you know. <laughs> but as we saw, as we saw, you know, they, they, uh, they only, they'll only talk to you when they want to. Never gone in for sheep? Yeah, we have sheep, oh, as, have well. sheep as well. We miss the sheep, actually. Yes, we have oh, sheep. sheep. Yeah, we, yeah, Where we... do they fit in the pecking order of good conversationists? Uh, sheep are the worst of all. <laughs> sheep, sheep look at people with utter contempt, I think. Is they, are they just like, oh, you lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the pigs are just always your friend. They really are. Well done. Where do you stand on the question of uh, renationalising the energy companies? <laughs> Very good. And uh, what, what's your interest in the Tory leadership contest? None at all. None at all. You and you and half the country. Uh, David's been lovely. Thank you so much for the tour. Tour of the farm. That's uh, David Exwood here on Horsham's Farm in Surrey. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.